Welcome to Ghost of a Podcast. I'm your host, Jessica Lignato. I'm an astrologer, psychic medium, and animal communicator, and I'm going to give you your weekly horoscope and no bullshit mystical advice for living your very best life. My loves, we're getting close to the end of the year, and so I thought it was a perfect time to do another episode of How the Sausage is Made, where I answer a bunch of listener questions and give you kind of a shorter answer to more things. So I'm going to do that. But before I do, let me just briefly tell you a little bit about something I'm doing called Starstruck. It's a global astrology summit that you can access from anywhere in the world. All you have to do is go to astrostyle.com slash Jessica to buy your ticket. And it's going to be really amazing, I think, because it's some of the best living astrologers, some of your absolute favorites. We're all coming together to give you some meaningful tools for the year ahead. You know, astrologically. So meet up with me and some of my astro besties at astrostyle.com slash Jessica. That's what you got to do. Now, let's talk about how the sausage is made. Okay, so here are some questions I got from you guys. And I wanted to start off with this one from A about animals. A asks, I want to get your take as both an astrologer and an animal communicator on how astrology does or does not affect animals. I'm fostering a kitten whose background I know nothing about, and with the vet's estimate, she is either a Taurus or a Gemini sun. Unfortunately, I have no other information about her birth date or time, but it led me to wonder whether we can cast a chart for our furry friends and how they react to planetary transits. So I'm really glad you asked me this question, A, because I have strong feelings about the answer. I do not believe that human astrology applies to cats or dogs, or fish, or horses. I don't believe that to be the case. Now, I'm not saying that astrology cannot be used in a way that supports or reflects the needs and trends of animals, but uh, I'm not really interested in using astrology, which is really the interpretation of astronomy to understand human trends and applying it to domesticated animals. I don't think that really works. I mean, I don't think it works for non-domesticated animals either, but certainly not for domesticated animals. And I think it's tricky when we start projecting astrological attributes to our animal friends. And I know tons of people do it, and I know some astrologers are into it, but since you're asking me, I say, don't do that. Just just chat with your cat. Support her based on what she's showing you of who she is, regardless of whether she's a Gemini or a Taurus and whatever you think that means. One other thing I can say is if you're concerned about how your furry friend is reacting to astrological transits, there's one easy way to approach that. Pay attention to the moon. The moon moves really quickly. It goes through all the zodiac signs every single month. So you can pay attention for the day or two that the moon is in any particular sign to see if your cat or your dog is responding differently to that lunar transit. Now, I am going to guess that you're not going to see much of a difference, TBH, um, but maybe new moons and full moons, you'll notice a difference, but that just takes several months of paying attention, which in my experience, most people don't really have the patience to do, but it is the most effective way of understanding how the moon impacts you or your furry friends. So you might want to approach it that way. I got another fantastic question from Sarah, and Sarah says, I recently learned how to pull my solar return chart, and I had two logistical questions about it. 
Because I'm traveling a lot and don't currently have a permanent home base, I use my location on my birthday this year to pull it, which is in Iceland. Whereas I guess you could say my home is in San Francisco, but I'm not there on a regular basis. Is that correct or should I have run it for San Francisco instead? My rising sign for the solar return chart is Leo, while my natal rising sign is Scorpio. Should I use this information to read my daily monthly horoscopes? Do I read for Leo all year or both? Does it even matter? Okay, Sarah, I'm so glad you asked me this question because, first of all, let me tell you guys, the solar return is your birthday. It's when the sun returns to the exact degree of the exact sign it was on the date of your birth. So sometimes your solar return actually happens on your birthday. Sometimes it's the day before, sometimes it's the day after, but you know, usually it's on your birthday and astrologers cast a chart called the solar return chart and it gives you a sense of the year ahead. And in fact, its effects can be felt three months before your birthday until three months before the next birthday. And what we do is we pull the solar return chart for the physical location you are in the world at the moment that your solar return is exact. So in other words, you would pull the chart, my dear Sarah, for Iceland, and you can get a nice little picture of what your year ahead is going to look like. Now, here's the thing. A solar return chart is not the same as a transit, right? In other words, it's not as strong as a transit. It's a good tool for looking at trends, but it is not something that you would adjust your horoscopes about. Now, if you are a Scorpio rising, then you are a Scorpio rising. And no solar returns are going to change that. Once you start messing with progress charts and solar returns and all this kind of stuff, and you start reading multiple horoscopes, you are taking something like sun sign horoscopes, a very general astrological practice, and then applying these more subtle trends and more subtle levels of data to a very general uh, astrological forecast, the sun sign horoscope, and you're just really diluting everything. So I would not recommend that at all. Horoscopes, and you know I write horoscopes. I love horoscopes. But horoscopes are the most generalized use of astrology. So generalized. And so it's very important that if you're going to read your, your sun sign horoscope, read it for your sun sign. You can read it for your rising if it gives you value. But honestly, unless you have a sun and moon in the same sign, I don't recommend that you read it for your moon. And in general, I definitely say do not read your progressed anything or your solar return anything. This might be a slightly more advanced astrological question. And if you guys are hearing this and you're like rushing out to guess your solar return chart, I would recommend you only do that if you're in a kind of advanced study moment. You know, if you're not like at your very beginning of study or consult a professional because professionals can read solar return charts. That said, not all astrologers work with solar return charts. And what I've noticed with a lot of people who are studying astrology in this modern age is that people find out about these esoteric forms of astrology and they get really excited and start using them before they have a solid foundation in the basics. And I understand why you do it. It's interesting, but it's not always the most useful thing to do because then you get this really subtle, nuanced information that doesn't actually directly impact you when there's all this data out there that actually does really intensely impact you. And that's the stuff you want to get into. So that's just, that's just my two cents, my loves. And that brings me to a question from Brianna. She asks, after a rough breakup and some transitioning in my career this past eclipse season, I turned to YouTube and Twitter for some insight. Oftentimes the messages resonate for me and my friends, but a lot of times I feel they just give me false hope that the lover is returning. 
I've become slightly addicted. How do general readings work, and how can I better use astrology to see what's ahead for me? Thank you, and I love you. Thanks, Brianna. I love you, too. Okay, this is a really important question because we all do it. I mean, TBH, I don't do it, but I have done it. And most of us, when we start getting into astrology, get obsessive. And honestly, it is not wise. My friends, my loves, it is not wise. I am a person who saves my fortunes from fortune cookies. I do. I love them. I am all about receiving guidance wherever I get it, however I get it. I don't care if it's from a cookie. I don't care if it's from a horoscope or a Twitter post or whatever, whatever. And also, if you are in a very real life situation, something is happening that you are heartbroken over or a situation in your life is occurring that is very serious, when you turn to a highly generalized form of support that was not created with you in mind, then you're only going to get a very generalized bit of data. As an astrologer and a content creator on social media and in the world, it is not equal to getting a one-on-one consultation. And it's not possible for everyone to, you know, pay for a one-on-one consultation or to find, you know, the right kind of practitioner for you at the right moment that you need it. So we all turn to these generalized things. But you just need to remember that You want to just use a grain of salt with all things like that. If you're finding that you're addicted to seeking answers, right, to getting predictions about when you'll no longer be in pain or when things will be better for you, then you are misusing the resource of readings. And so I would encourage you instead to practice tolerating the feelings that come up around uncertainty, to stay present with heartache. Whenever people ask me this question of, will this lover return to me? My first thought is not, let's find out. My first thought is, is that good for you? Is that wise? Is that healthy? Wanting to evade pain is natural and human. But that doesn't mean that going backwards, going back in time, going back to the person who you're hurting over is the right answer. And in a generalized reading, you can't get that kind of information. So if you are seeking inspiration, keep on going. And if you're seeking answers, this is not an appropriate way of doing that. It's not a healthy, sustainable way of doing that. You'll get value for sure every once in a while. But if you're not using something that is tailored for you, then it's not a reliable resource. So I would encourage you to be really careful and supportive to yourself and not try to skip over the step of wherever you're at by seeking an answer. Even if you got the right answer from like the most gifted astrologer or psychic in the world, you still have to go through it, girl. You still have to go through it. Now, Swedish Sarah, I so call Swedish Sarah, Swedish Sarah, because her name is also Sarah and she is from Sweden asked me this really excellent question. Am I a douchebag because some part of my birth chart tells me so? I have Sun and Leo rising in Virgo. And from what I've read, I sound like a total douche. And maybe I was when I was younger, but I'm older now and I'm a coach at work. Are there other aspects in my birth chart that indicate otherwise? Because I feel that my purpose on this earth and in this life is to help people be the best version of themselves. This is an important question. And I got to say, you are not a douche because you're a Leo with a Virgo rising. And this is where it kind of like dovetails into Brianna's question. Because when you are reading about having a sun in a sign and a certain rising sign, what you're reading is an individual astrologer, maybe a beginning astrologer, maybe an expert. I don't know. But you're reading an individual astrologer's 
take on those things. Every individual astrologer's take comes through the filter of our own birth charts. That's right. You're going to hear me, a person who has sun, moon, and rising all in Capricorn, give you a take on astrology that comes through the filter of Capricorn, 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 because that's the only filter I have. That's the only way I can process data, experience the world. It's the only way that I can open my mouth and speak. We are who we are. So you want to remember that when you're reading about any kind of interpretive data, whether it's astrology or psychology or what color looks best on your skin tone for fall, it is coming through the interpretation of the person who is giving you that data and their agenda. So there are no douchey signs. I repeat, there are no douchey signs. <laughs> there are no bad signs. There are no uh, broken signs. There's no sign where every person of that sign is a cheater or a liar or a fill in the blank of a negative word that you have used to describe a sign you don't like. <laughs> Sorry, guys, that's the reality. The reality is signs aren't douchey, people are. You always have the choice to be your best self, your most mediocre self, your worst self, whatevs. If you are going to be a douche, if you are going to be mean, if you are going to be kind, if you are going to be generous, you're going to do it through the style of your birth chart, the style of your sun sign and your rising sign and all the other planets in your chart. But it's not like anyone is destined to be a bad person or a douche. We are all destined only to live this life in whatever way we choose to with the circumstances, conditions, limitations, and resources we have access to, right? That's all. So if ever any of you are reading anything or being told by anyone that you are inherently douchey because of your sun sign, well, then you know that they're not very good at astrology. That's all. It's okay to not be good at astrology. We can't all be good at everything. Okay. Now, one more thing I'm going to say, and this is actually about last week's episode. That was episode 74, where I talked to a delightful dog named Hank, and uh, we talked about Sage and Palo Santo. And a listener wrote in, and I was so happy that she did, and she said that she was concerned about the mention of white sage and that she wanted to really bookmark here for me, and I am sharing this because she is absolutely right, that unless Milana or I are Native, white sage burning should not be suggested. Native communities have asked non-Native folks to not buy or burn white sage. This is so important, and I was so glad, like I said, that she sent this in because it is something that I Honestly, I have not done a good job around. Um, I have heard this about Palo Santo. I don't buy Palo Santo anymore. But if I'm being totally honest, burning sage has, is something I've been doing for over 20 years in my practice. You know, it's a huge part of my work. But the reality is sage isn't for me. It's not an herb that I should be buying or using. And it is, for me, complicated because it has been a huge part of my psychic hygiene uh, for decades. And it has been this invaluable tool that I have honestly not found anything else like. It is amazing for me. Uh, and I'm sure it's amazing for many of you. However, not all things are for us. Not all things are for me. White Sage and Palo Santo are both on that list, sadly. But I did want to just First of all, kind of make that correction from last week. And I, I want to just share that 
it is really important that we are aware of this and that we do not continue to buy and burn Palo Santo or sage. And I also, as I am saying this, want to acknowledge that I am in my own process with this. I am not perfect with this at all. You know, I'm going to move forward with thinking about how I can make reparations specific to my use of sage. And that's something that I am going to come to in my own process. It is my job to find it. You know by now that I have a book coming out, Astrology for Real Relationships, Understanding You, Me, and How We All Get Along. And it's going to be out December 31st. What you may not know is that if you pre-order the book, you can get a free 2020 astrological calendar that is super cute with images from within the book. And it has a bunch of dates that you really want for your year ahead, like Mercury retrograde and direct and eclipses and other good astro data. All you have to do is pre-order the book and whenever you can shop small, shop local, pre-order the book, get your receipt, and then follow the link that is in the show notes here and also on my website to enter your receipt. And then you will get to download your own free 2020 astrological calendar. You need it. You want it. What are you waiting for? My dear loves and darlings, it's horoscope time again. We're going to look at the week of December 1st through the 7th, 2019. This is the first week of the last month of 2019. We are at the end of what has been socially, politically, and certainly personally for a lot of us, a really intense year. And it's also been a really intense decade. I don't know. It's kind of mind-blowing, you know, the end of, of a really powerful decade. And it's also the beginning of a really powerful decade. I I think astrologically, there is a lot upcoming. And certainly when we just look at the social and political conditions of the world at this time, we can see that this upcoming decade is going to be really important. I would say pivotal to where we go as, you know, as a global community and certainly in our smaller, more intimate communities So there's a lot to talk about, and there's certainly a lot going on this month. There's a lot of places that I create astrology content for like the month ahead. You can go to my website and check out my monthly horoscope. You can go to Girlboss's Instagram account, and you can check out the IGTV horoscope I give there. Um, nice and in depth. And then also, if you haven't already started to support me on Patreon, please do. There I create content that is unique and you can only get there. It is what, it's what the kids like to call exclusive content. This month, you will get what I hope is really helpful um, and inspiring content around the solar eclipse in Capricorn that is happening on the West Coast of the United States on 12-25, which is kind of a big date for a lot of people, 12-25 at 9-13 p.m. specifically. So there's like a lot of things that you can check out in addition to the podcast for astrological insight and support. However, my loves, as you know, use astrology as a springboard for understanding, context, strategies, insights. But don't compulsively seek answers. You know, this is not, life is not meant to be like a game of blackjack. (laughs) Well, I guess maybe it is meant to be like a game of blackjack. You can keep on seeking advice and answers to a point. And then at a certain point, it actually, it, it doesn't help the game. So that's something not to lose track of, because I think especially around the end of a year, what happens for people is we start freaking out and looking for answers, looking for quick fixes. 
as you know, I do not believe in quick fixes. Every once in a while they work, but as a life strategy, they really don't. There is only one way to learn the lessons of Saturn, and that is step by step. And Saturn is the planet of maturity. It is the planet of wisdom. It is the planet of time. It takes time to cultivate wisdom and maturity. And here we are in this very Saturnian time, very Saturnian time, very Capricorn time in some ways. And that's something we'll unpack throughout the month. Now, that all said, let's let's start from where we are right now, because the future depends on your presence in this moment. The future depends on your presence moment to moment. If you think about it too long, your present moment is your past. Stay present for the little things, the little choices, because big successes, big growth, big joy is comprised of lots of little choices, lots of little moments. So don't be so fixated on the big stuff that you miss out on the little things. It is the little things that comprise your quality of life. It is the big things that are like big stories, big memories, but you really want to stay present for the little stuff. And that, my loves, brings me to the first order of business, which is on December 2nd, 2019, Jupiter enters into the sign of Capricorn. The planet Jupiter spends about 12 months, about a year uh, in a sign, in any given sign. So once every 12 years, it returns to the same sign. So if you wanted to look in history at what happens when Jupiter is in the sign of Capricorn, you can look at about 12 years ago and then 24 years ago, and you get the point. Dial it back 12 years. So Jupiter and Capricorn is a lot of things, but with astrology, as with all things, nothing exists in isolation. While we can look back at the themes of Jupiter and Capricorn throughout history, the context that each individual transit is occurring in is really important to consider, and it deeply impacts what will happen within the world and certainly what will happen to you. How many of us were the exact same person in the exact same circumstances 12 years ago? Very few amongst us. Very few amongst us. So the transit of Jupiter and Capricorn is complicated. I think Jupiter and Capricorn has a lot of amazing potential. Jupiter is the planet of growth and expansion. It is one of the many planets that are associated with social change, that are associated with philosophy and moralistic ideologies or stances. So Jupiter can be associated with religion and it can be associated with all kinds of ideologies. Jupiter and Capricorn can, on the positive, be associated with bringing more vision or a greater vision into the structure of our lives. When I refer to the structure, that might look like our relationship to money, our relationship to work, our relationship to time and time management, or our relationship to institutions that we're engaged with in general. And, you know, what your definition of an institution is and how you relate to it is somewhat personal. And of course, it's somewhat societal. Now, when we have Jupiter and Capricorn, we have the potential to bring that largesse of spirit that Jupiter confers to the more pragmatic and earthbound topics that are Capricornian. That's cool. I am all about that. We really need to bring our humanistic vision, even our spiritual philosophies and vision to our lives in a way that is really material that we can kind of grow into. That is awesome. The downside of Jupiter and Capricorn can be 
that we see a rise in dogma, that we see a rise in religious dogma specifically, that we are so focused on the big picture that we miss out on the details. And we miss out on the details in a way where we mistreat people and their feelings as details. Because unfortunately, that happens a lot. Um, We think about the big picture and we ignore all the people and all the hearts and all the differences that exist within that big picture. The thing that I think is super important for me to say here is that when Jupiter is in the sign of Capricorn, we can work doggedly towards our dreams. We can make sure that our dreams are attainable. I'm a big fan of having dreams and taking those dreams and turning them into plans so that we don't have to dream and escape our lives in order to find value and meaning within our lives. Huge fan, huge fan of that. And the nice thing about this transit is it can bring that to the surface. It really can. The downside again is that we might see a real conflict of different kinds of people's different visions for what is right or what is sustainable. And whenever we're dealing with the sign Capricorn, we are dealing with themes of sustainability. We're dealing with themes of conservation or conservatism. So with Jupiter and Capricorn, it's important to not limit your dreams, but instead, as I like to say, step-by-step them. Capricorn is a vibe that is all about one foot in front of the other. It's a damn goat climbing a damn hill, you know? You know, Jupiter likes to take a rocket ship to the top of the hill. So we're going to have to find a middle ground here. And that middle ground is having a big vision that you can set smaller goals within smaller goals. It's doable. My loves, it is doable. You might want to look to your own birth chart to see where Capricorn falls in your birth chart and know that Jupiter's transiting through that house. And that is fascinating because that will bring up themes of excess potential, vision, excitement, opportunity. Jupiter does all those things. You know what else Jupiter does? The thing that people talk about a lot less. Jupiter makes us feel like there's so much more. I can have more. I could do more. It it should be more, which can be inspiring and it can be exciting, or it can make you feel low-key depressed. It can make you feel more aware of what you don't have and where you're not instead of what you do have and what you're striving towards. So, you know, that's something to to pay attention to because the Jupiterian depressive vibe is really kind of distressing because it's demoralizing. So Jupiter is kind of associated with morality as is Saturn and Capricorn in a very different way. So if you find yourself demoralized, align yourself with what you've got and the steps you can take right here, right now, even if it's only one tiny little step, the steps you can take towards what you want or where you want to be. Now on the second, we have another transit occurring and that's Mercury sextile to Pluto. Mercury sextile to Pluto is a lovely transit to be going through after this fracacta Mercury retrograde we've just come out of. Mercury sextile to Pluto is a transit that can kind of just spark your investigative mind. It can help you to figure things out. It can kind of motivate you to do the work you need to do to just get through the investigation of something. It can also make it easier to verbally communicate or communicate in writing something that you've been putting off, something that feels a little confrontational or sticky. Uh, The sextile between Pluto and any planet allows us to go deep 
and it allows us to go deep in a way that makes it a little bit easier than it would during a harder transit, which we love. Now on the third, we have another sextile. And again, a sextile, as I've said before on the show, is a 60 degree angle and it is quite harmonious and creative. So the Venus sextile to Mars, what it does, eh, you know, it's actually not a lot. What it can do, especially if it's hitting something directly in your chart, or if you leverage it, is just kind of create more spark between what you want to do and how you do it effectively. Mars is your action and Venus is the style of that action. And it can just be, you know, it can be nice for dating, it can be nice for socializing. It's not a major push. If you're an artist, great day for just like sitting with your sketchbook or sitting with your medium and seeing where the muse carries you. Great time for that. If you're dating someone, you know, and you're trying to decide what day should we hang out? Yeah, go for the third. Why not? The third Venus is forming a sex cell to Mars. It's exact. It's lovely. But I wouldn't overthink this one. Now, finally, on the seventh, we have a sun square to Neptune. This transit will be exact on the eighth, which is a Sunday, which is the day that the next episode, episode 76 of Ghost of a Podcast drops. So I will talk about it more in depth on the 8th, but I want to give you a heads up because you'll be feeling it on Saturday. Sun squared to Neptune. Eh, it's not fantastic. I'm not going to lie to you. This transit can make you feel depleted. It can make you feel anxious. The sun is your vital energies. It is literally the planet that governs your vitality. And Neptune tends to strip our external vitality in such a way that it forces us to rely on our spirituality. It forces us to rely on our inner resourcing. And this square, this 90 degree angle can really just make you feel like I don't have any extra energy. I don't have any inner resourcing. And so this is a really important date to practice your boundary work. It is so important to practice your boundary work here. You want to remember that on this date and honestly throughout the holiday season, if you are in fact a person who you know deals with November, December, January as a holiday season, that having compassion for someone doesn't mean you have to engage with their bullshit. You want to remember that even having compassion for yourself doesn't mean you're entitled to indulge your most self-destructive patterns, your most self-destructive habits. It is very hard to have healthy boundaries. It is very hard to know where you have a right to ask for more or ask for less or take a step back. It is really hard to know the difference between compassion and pity and sympathy, right? But this is really important work to be doing in your personal life. And it's really important work to be doing in public. And this particular transit is a great time to do it, whether you want to or not. So connect it to all of that. If you're feeling anxious, if you're feeling kind of exhausted or off, don't worry. The transit will be exact on the 8th. You'll be feeling it on the 9th, but it will be over by the 10th. So it's not too long and it is not happening for no reason. It is happening so that you use your inner resourcing. You are connected to something larger than yourself and you remember that you are part of everything. You are part of everything. Neptune teaches us that we are interconnected and that our interconnection is not hierarchical. It's not judgmental. It is simply, you have a place in this world and you deserve to be here. And now you, your job is to steward this life and this body. Your job is to show up 
and keep on showing up in a way that is sustainable and meaningful to you. That's it. That's the horoscope for your week. And you know, here I am telling you what your job is. That's just that's just how Capricorns think. I can't help it. I like jobs. I like homework. It helps me stay grounded and connected. And I hope it helps you too. You know, my loves, I really appreciate you showing up with me week after week. And as you know, we're like a year and a couple months into having this podcast. I just have to reiterate the feeling that I have of love for you all. And I want to say that I hope that you feel that love and that you in turn take that feeling and you really spend a moment dropping into it inside of your own skin, inside of your own head, and really being in a moment, just a moment of feeling connected and loved and like you deserve to be here. And then take that moment and just shower it upon someone else, a stranger, a cat, a person, do what you got to do, but try to do some, some of that. Because when we recognize the humanity in others, it reinforces our own humanity. And when we reinforce our own humanity, it makes it so much easier to see the humanity in others and to act from a place that acknowledges and highlights that. And that's what it's all about. You know, you don't exist alone no matter how lonely you're feeling. And so many of us are feeling lonely around the holiday time, but you are not alone. You do not exist alone. And it is hard to figure out how to connect with others, how to let others in, how to ask the right people for support, how to make eye contact is tricky for a lot of people, but it's worth it to keep on trying. As always, send me questions for the podcast. Just go to ghostofapodcast.com. And if you haven't already, please star rate, review this podcast, wherever you listen to it, or just subscribe. Hitting subscribe, that is a kindness. Sharing it with your friends, that's a kindness. So thanks thanks again for all the kindnesses, and uh, I'll talk to you next week. Bye. Every year they say the end is near, but we're still here, yeah, we're still here.